today's scripture is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and wonderful, powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Thanks, Cindy. Well, good morning, everybody. Today, I thought since we were between a series that we might hit the pause button a little bit and do a little bit of soul care. I just feel like the times in which we are in, it's like, man, we could, we could use all the more focus to minister to our souls. And it seemed to me that the Lord put on my heart uh, this example of Elijah. Now, we looked at his story uh, a, a while back now, but I felt like the Lord was bringing him uh, to mind for us to be thinking about in these times to help us, help us do a little bit of soul care. Uh, I wonder if you were to pull out your phone and you were to look at your most recently used emojis, what you would find. I wonder if we did that collectively, like what we would like understand about like all of us in these times. We did this as a, a staff this last week, and sure enough, three, like a bunch of us had uh, the, the recently used emojis of smacking your face, like smacking your head, you know, the big sigh, and the shrug icon. Uh, all of us, we were just kind of laughing at that because we're like, man, if there's anything that kind of summarizes the times we're in, it, it, it's that. 
Uh, Cindy's in a cohort of executive uh, pastors, executive directors in the, in the local Bay Area of churches. And one of the things they're saying is if the year of 2021 was the year of resignation, that is the year where people just kind of are beginning to throw their hands up and say, you know, I'm just done emotionally, uh, physically, I'm just, I'm just done. And, and a lot of people left their jobs in 2021. It probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody here. But if the year of 2021 was a year of resignation, they're saying the year 2022 is looking to be the year of separation. Meaning people are moving more and more from just throwing up their hands like I'm done to actually like wiping their hands clean to say, I'm done. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just done. I'm done with my work. I'm done with the place I live in. I'm done with certain relationships. Perhaps even we're done with the church, done with God. And what I would say to you, current family, is as we're in this space, if, if the year 2022 truly is a year of separation, don't let that be you. And in some ways I'd say, well, well but at least do the soul care work to understand what might be going on instead of just perhaps impulsively or with any sense of finality, just reacting out of this feeling of I'm done, I'm through, it's over. That's where we see Elijah was in, in that place in this, in this uh, story of 1 Kings 19. Elijah was an incredibly respected and revered person in the scriptures. And that's saying a lot, because there's a lot of people in the scriptures who are very respected and, and revered. He was a guy that just, man, when you look at his life across the, the broad spectrum of it, he didn't have a lot of failings or shortcomings. Now, I'm not trying to suggest he wasn't perfect. I mean, everybody's not perfect. But of all the incredible characters recorded in the Hebrew scriptures, very few of them are recorded like Elijah. I mean, you think about Moses or Abraham or King David. Like, they had some major shortcomings. I mean, they were good people, but just some fans. With Elijah, you just don't really see that all that much. And the other thing with Elijah is he's one of the two people that Jesus decided to bring with him on the mount in New Testament times when Jesus very famously on the mount kind of pulled the veil back in the instance of what's known as the transfiguration, where he just kind of pulled the veil back for his own disciples at the time to show a little bit more of his true glory. There with him were two people, and it was none other than Moses and Elijah. The reason why I'm saying all this is because we see here in this text, a person like Elijah just absolutely hit a wall. I'm just going to get to the place where he's not only done, he's like beginning to operate on I'm done. And actually, in some ways, he's done with God. So we'll talk about that. But a little insight and thought I think we need to kind of wrestle with is if Elijah could get to a place like that, boy, you and I could get to a place like that. And so what I want to do again today, looking at his example is, is do some soul care work and think about this for our lives. And, and, and how I want to do that as we look at this text is really draw out three questions. I think there are at least three questions from this text that can help us do some of the soul care work in our lives. So let me pray and then we'll just kind of uh, unpack that a little bit. Father, uh, thank you for how real and raw your word is. Here's a person who is well-respected as being a person of faith, your prophet, and really we haven't even gotten into it, just his experience is just high of highs and, and yet hits not just some wall, but just really the ultimate wall of just saying, I'm through, Lord, would you just end it all? Thank you for how real and raw that is because Lord, we can see ourselves there. And I imagine many people are feeling that in some sense, even now here today. So Father, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us through the gift the gifts of your word and spirit, understand what it has, what it is you have in front of us. Lord, if you want to do some soul care work in us today, would you do that? 
as our wonderful counselor, as well as our Prince of Peace, mighty God, everlasting Father. We love you. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so three questions to help us do soul care. If and when you've hit a wall. If you're there now, boy, here's some questions, okay? Question number one, and we're going to spend more time on question number one for those uh, paying attention to that. Um, but uh, we'll unpack question one a little bit more lengthy, and then we'll, we'll hit on two and three a little bit more quickly. But question number one is, first, are you identifying the real issue? Okay, if you've hit a wall, are you identifying the real issue? Because before we even get into Elijah's circumstances and what's going on with him, we just probably know that it's human nature to kind of get into times that are really hard, have different things hitting us, and think that we know what's actually at root of it all, but not really. Are you tracking with me? Like there's a lot of times where we're facing a lot of hard things and we've kind of in our minds have, have an understanding of, oh, that's why that is, but really to be off. Have you ever experienced that? Uh, that was the case here for Elijah. Uh, we pick up here in 1 Kings chapter 19. What happened in chapter 18 is just some incredibly spectacular events in the life of Elijah. He got to see God move in just some incredible ways. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, in 1 Kings chapter 18, you have the incredible events of Mount Carmel, where Elijah basically throws down with a, with a ton of false prophets of Baal, wins out, calls upon the Lord. The Lord just shows the people just a miraculous sign, just sucking up this sacrifice and fire that the false prophets weren't able to do. The people are just amazed at it all. They're just, it's, it's beginning to be a bit of a revival moment. moment. The people of Israel by this point had long since turned away from God, and the prophet Elijah had been just trying over and over, repeatedly trying to get them to come back to God. Well, in this moment, with such a spectacular miracle, Elijah had to have been thinking, maybe it's going to happen. In fact, the people of God were all there and starting to have a softening of heart and starting to move in that direction. That's one event that happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. Another event was I, Elijah decided to pray to God that he would end a many-year-long drought, and that had happened very miraculously. And then right before our text, like literally a few verses, if you want to peek down at it, you see that Elijah is, quote, running in the power of the Lord. So Elijah has experienced just these highs of highs, just seeing God work in just incredible ways. And what is the result? He runs to the capital, almost certainly because even though that was the place of like centralized opposition against him up until this point, he figured, okay, now these people are going to turn back to me. But he finds that the king Ahab and the queen Jezebel uh, don't have a soft heart. If anything, their hearts have hardened and they're ready to kill him. And he's just utterly stunned at that. And it just makes him just throw his hands up and say, I'm done. We're told in verse three that he's afraid. He runs for his life. He gets out into the wilderness and then he says these words to God. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestor. ancestors. He lays down under a, a broom bush, falls asleep, essentially wanting to die there. Okay. Well, unpack a little bit more lately how God doesn't let him do that, of course. Sends an angel to kind of care for his needs. But if you fast forward in the story, you see that God meets with Elijah on the mount, as we had read. And asks Elijah a question, not once, but twice, Elijah, what are you doing here? Ask this question two times. Elijah, what are you doing here? Verses 9 and 13. Now, that's a fascinating question for God to ask, wouldn't you say? Because if he's God and he understands all things, including what's going on in Elijah, why would he ask, let alone twice, Elijah, what's going on in you, buddy? It seems to me that God, being God, doesn't, he doesn't need to know what Elijah needs to, is, is feeling, what's actually going on there. 
what, he, what he's doing for Elijah is helping Elijah himself understand what's really going on underneath it all. He's helping Elijah do some soul care work. What's going on, Elijah? Many have hit a wall in their marriages, in their jobs, with where they live, with parenting, with the roommate situation, maybe even with God. If that's you, are you identifying the real issue behind it all? Elijah responds to God's question twice, saying essentially word for word both times in verses 10 and 14. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You want to know what's going on? I've been very zealous for you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Let me offer, let me try to offer a translation, okay, of what Elijah's saying. God, how could you? I've been faithful. I've been doing my part. I showed up and did my thing that you called me to do. And where has that gotten things? The people of God, they're rejecting you. They're not turning back to you. And now my life's in danger. Like, what's that good for? How could you allow this to happen? But up to this point, if you pay attention to the narrative, what we see over and over again is there's all these different things that have been kind of out there with Elijah that he's been facing. He's, he's been fearful. It's in verse 3. We're told, we're told there that he's afraid. We're told that he's tired. He laid down under that broom bush to try to take a nap, get some sleep. We're told that he's lonely. He left his servant, we're told back in verse 3 as well. But what God is doing with this question and asking him what's really going on here is he's trying to coax out, trying to do some soul care work of Elijah. Do you see what's really going on in you? Do you understand what's underneath it all? And Elijah's first attempt is to go, you're the problem. I realize my issues with you, God. And we see that begin to, to, to play out. But before we kind of jump in, dive into more like what's going on there with Elijah, I just think we need to understand something. And that is we have all these things at any given point, but almost, almost certainly more so in this season where there's just so many hurts, so many pains out there that we just are almost certainly affected by in, in more ways than we can even identify that we just need to recognize and understand and, just, and be mindful of. We did an exercise this last week as a staff really with the hopes of understanding how we can better be better praying for the church, serving the church as, as staff in those roles. And so we asked the question kind of like in, in general terms, not getting into specifics, but like, you know, as a society or as a church, what are like the themes of things that people, what are the hurts out there? Like what, are, what are the struggles? What are people wrestling with right now? And it was a very helpful exercise. One person said, oh, you know what people are wrestling with right now is bitterness. So that's interesting. What do you mean by that? He said, well, it's, it's really easy to be bitter right now. Tell me more. He said, well, I'm not trying to like make a political comment here, this or that. But like, if you think about all the restrictions that we're dealing with right now and have been dealing with that have been imposed on us, if you in, in this society have been doing your best to sacrifice to like, whether it's out of love for your neighbor, whether it's out of honoring the government, whatever it is, I'm not getting the political stuff, but like, if that was your response, you sacrificed, it's hard not to be bitter. Why not? Because you see a lot of people around you not necessarily doing that. Or you see, you know, things like even I saw on my feed this, this last week, you know, politicians who were the ones imposing the restrictions, not really living them. Like there's just a lot of, and you don't have a lot of leaders saying, and by the way, thank you for your sacrifice as you're changing up your schedules with your kids and trying to navigate all that. And yeah, you can go on. There's, it's, it's hard not to feel bitter. I was like, that's really insightful. By the way, Elijah was facing bitterness. I've been very jealous for you, God. 
I, I hear bitterness in that, don't you? And I would just say, current family, that if that's in the realm of something that resonates with you, that you might have a little bit of bitterness in you. Bitterness, wouldn't you say, is a heavy, heavy feeling to be carrying along in your soul. Another person on staff said, uh, one of the things that everybody's struggling with right now is, of course, exhaustion. People are just tired. I mean, it's like, I, I read this text earlier this week and saw Elijah uh, getting a nap under the broom bush. I'm like, that sounds pretty nice. Getting a little nap in. A lot of people are exhausted. Two categories of people I'm especially thinking of, my heart goes out to you, who are almost certainly most exhausted. I mean, everybody's exhausted, okay? But two categories of people, I think of healthcare workers and I think of those with little kids. By the way, there's some in the church who are both healthcare and they have little kids. We love you guys. Where are you at? I'm trying to make eye contact so I can give you my love. Healthcare workers, any chance we get to talk about it? Like, man, you guys have been exhausted the last little bit. And not just physically exhausted. I mean, there's so much stress in all the decisions you're having to make and how you're having to make it and how quick you're having to make it and how people want you to make it and they're mad with you for not making it the way, not just on you, but on your coworkers, your fellow nurses or doctors or whatever. That's all compounding. I mean, stress is going to abound in those situations. You've got to be exhausted. And then those of you with little ones, oh my goodness. It's like raising little ones is hard enough. Sans pandemic, but then you throw a pandemic in there. It's like, okay. Man, it's easy to be exhausted right now. Loneliness is another thing that people have been wrestling with. I think of those of you guys who are, who are living on your own, families further away, whatever the case may be. Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Elijah, we're told, left his servant. That's a big deal for him to decide to do that, let alone his people. We don't think about like how much isolation and loneliness has been, has been impacting us. We could talk about uncertainties that we're all facing around. There's a whole list of things. But we need to understand that there's all these things out there. And the reality is those all have effects. They, they all have implications. For starters, it makes me realize, it may, you know, what comes to my mind is it has a downstream effect. Have you ever been to a river and you've seen kind of like, you know, at the top, there's little sources of pollution here or there. But, and at the bottom of that river, it's just like, okay, that's the deal. That's where it all ends up. There's just a bunch of junk down there. Have you ever seen that? been in a few places where I've, I've seen that. It's like, man, there are so many hard things coming at us from so many angles right now. Bitterness, isolation, you could add to that list, that are coming in all along the stream that are having downstream effects. You following me? So for instance, it's really easy to have all these issues that are causing you stress in the workplace only to it, for it to come out at home with relationships there and not even realize that that's what's happening. Is this, is this making sense? They, it, and, and, then, and then things happening there, impact, impacting over here. There's all this downstream effect. And that's what's happening with Elijah. It's just all kind of bottling up. The other thing I think we tend to do, and Elijah did this as well, is we tend to try to place blame, don't we? When things get really hard, we're looking to place blame on someone or something. It just makes life a lot easier if we can just do that. The problem is if there's so many different things happening and we don't really know what the issue is down underneath it all, we could very easily look for the closest person and be like, you're the one to blame. Now, I worry about marriages right now with, with the, in light of that. It's really easy for spouses to go, you know what, I'm really stressed. And actually, we don't say any of this. We don't know. It's all subconsciously. I'm really stressed over here, but you're my problem. By the way, I'm not saying that that person is not perfect and all the rest of it, but there's just a reality there. I'm really nervous, for instance, about small groups in churches. 
uh, current and just all churches. I mean, I've been in many churches down the years, and it's really easy for, for Christians to go when things get hard, oh, my issue is the church, or my issue is the small group I'm in. And hey, hey, there might be things that need to be worked out there. I'm not trying to disregard that, but it, sometimes it's like, well, what, what's really going on there? We need to understand there's downstream effects. There's, there's places where we try to find fault, and it seems to me where that can lead is like Elijah for us to have tunnel vision versus to be like, you know, we're just, we're done. We just, all we're seeing is what we're seeing. And we're totally off. When God brought this to a head two times with this question, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, what's going on here, Elijah? Uh, What we see is on the very surface of things, Elijah is upset with God, but more specifically, he's actually upset with God's plan, isn't he? He's like, God, how could you? I did my part. I've been faithful. There's no one here, but you're not doing your thing. It's not working out that way. But it's hard for us as readers to not see objectively that Elijah's off here, right? Now, subjectively, if we put ourselves in, in, in his shoes, we can see ourselves there, right? But objectively, if you kind of see, pull the lens back, you can see that Elijah really doesn't have a basis for that. Why? Well, for starters, God is God, <laughs> Last I checked, and Elijah being the prophet of God knows that. So it's not like Elijah needs to be like, God, I, I'm, I understand things better than you. Okay, so there's a logical problem with Elijah here. But number two, experientially, Elijah should have known better. I mean, you don't have to go back but one chapter, few verses, for Elijah to have really experienced God's not just kind of power, but like incredible working power. Elijah was missing that the real issue was not so much God's plan was wrong, it was his thinking of who God ought to be was wrong. And boy, don't we do that. Wouldn't you say? I certainly do. I was talking to a pastor this last week who almost, in the same words that we're using today, God, how could you, himself was wrestling with this. You might be like, my pastors are doing that? Elijah? was doing that. There's very few weeks that I go by as a pastor where I'm not hearing in some form or fashion from people sharing. I'm sitting in the, with them. Something to the same tune of what Elijah's going, saying. Like, God, where's God in this? I've done my part. But notice, God doesn't just show up to Elijah and start lecturing him. He asks him twice. Gets the same word for word, kind of weird, not really getting at it, but sort of moving in that direction. Answer from Elijah. Just patiently, graciously, coax it out. doesn't go like, Elijah, let me tell you something. Instead, he's asking questions. Elijah, what's going on? And by the way, he's initiating, even though he knows Elijah's target, at least in that moment, is towards God himself. You want the great example in the scriptures towards this end? Just look at the book of Job. I mean, of the Hebrew scripture, he's known as the great sufferer. And one of the things about Job, if you, if you, if you know that story, it's, it's Job undergoes just incredible suffering. And the, the Bible makes clear it's not suffering that, was, that he caused upon himself. He's blameless in that regard, but he was suffering. In fact, the Bible says that God allowed that suffering. And so much of the book of Job, so many of the words dedicated in this long book of Job are dedicated to Job being like, what's the deal? In other words, wrestling it through and God just allowing him to do that and allowing it to be recorded in scripture. Like God wants to hear from you. He wants, he's, he's that dear friend. What's daughter of mine, son of mine. What's going on? What are you doing here? He wants to, to, to do some soul care in you. He doesn't want to just put you in your place. He, he wants to graciously, patiently sit in it with you. 
to bring you to a place where you can understand that he loves you. And not only that, he wants to carry your load. He wants to lighten your load for you. And what we see in Elijah, what we see in Elijah here is often the greatest barrier for us to receive soul care is actually ourselves. You got to be asking the question, are you identifying the real issue? Second question, are you seeing God's blessings? Are you seeing God's care and love around you? Notice we're not wording it this way. Are you looking for God's blessings around you? We're not saying, are you looking for it in the case that maybe it's there? <laughs> we're saying, are you seeing God's goodness around you? Because it's there. Um, Elijah throws his hands up, goes out into the, the wilderness, is ready to die, asks God to essentially make that happen, uh, falls asleep, and then if you look at verse 5, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Oh, I'd have loved to eat that bread. Made by an angel? you got to figure out some good bread. But check out this next thought. It says this, Elijah ate and drank, then lay down again. I mean, that to me doesn't seem like a throwaway description of a verse. It seems like Elijah's just like, whatever though. Okay. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. It'll strengthen you for the journey ahead. Elijah might not really have recognized what was going on, but God was there with him, caring for him, serving him, taking care of his needs. Uh, any of you guys familiar with uh, Eric Chapman's uh, five love languages? Uh, you know, I think it's kind of a helpful tool. I'm not like a huge proponent of it, um, but it's, it's a helpful tool. I have found when I've done this a few times that uh, one of my love languages is um, physical touch. My mom used to call me, or still does to this day, like her hugger. Like I just, even in my teenage years in the morning, I just go give her a hug. I didn't realize that was weird or not normal thing until later on. But anyways, I, like that's just me. I don't know if Elijah... If his, if his love language was physical touch or not, but it seems to me significant that this angel touched him. Like, he could have just said, yo, Elijah, wake up. But he touched him. I, I can't help but think that was the Lord saying, uh, caring for Elijah emotionally as he was also getting ready to care for him physically and, and nourish him and, and all the rest of it. All the while, Elijah just seems completely oblivious to it. Could you imagine being oblivious to an angel's care? It's like, why? Well, almost certainly because of the tunnel vision Elijah was in. All the pains and hurts. But again, God doesn't just go, hey, man, there's an angel here. Just, hey, here's, here's enough for the next step. Are you seeing God's blessings around you? Uh, one of my favorite things about seminary, I hadn't experienced this before because I went to public schools and then in the Berkeley um, for undergrad. It's like in seminary, it's like you can pray before class. It's like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Uh, and I was in this uh, uh, preaching class, this old African-American gospel preacher, incredible guy named uh, J. Alfred Smith Sr. He's made magazines that, uh, that do these sorts of things of like influ most influential African-American gospel preacher. Just an incredible guy. I say all that to say, like he, you could see just in his countenance without even getting anywhere near some of his incredible stories, just that he had been through stuff. 
but not just like a victim-wise, but he hold himself, held himself with such strength and you could still see compassion and love and authority, all that sort of stuff. But he would like start this time, this, this preaching class with prayer. And I've shared this in different areas and there's actually a couple things in this regard that I've shared uh, sometimes here in the pulpit, but I, I want to share this one where he would, sh- he would pray before class. Now this is a preaching class. He'd pray before class and there, he would pray these prayers that I still remember to this day. Like off the top of my head, I can't remember other prayers. I mean, I probably could think of some, but like, like I remember his prayers. One of the prayers is not related to our message. I'm just, just I'm reminding of this little, little guy who's incredible. Is he would just like say, at the beginning of class, he'd have us all quiet down. He'd say, dear Jesus. And then he'd just pause for, I mean, look at your watch for 30, 60 seconds. And they'd say, Amen. And, you know, as you don't have to be a seminary student to know the scriptures of talking about how it, the, the, the spirit groans within us even when we don't know the words to pray. That's what he was doing. He's just like, look, some of the best prayers are when we don't pray, when we don't articulate. We just let the spirit pray. Okay, that was one. But then, to, to back to our point, one of the times he would pray, he would, well, a few times, but he, he, would say, he would go, dear Jesus, again, he'd pause for a little while, and then he'd take a big breath and he'd go, Thank you for the air that fills our lungs. Amen. And then we talk about preaching. That meant a lot to me back then. It still means a lot to me today because I realize I can take for granted the air that fills my lungs. The gift of life. Are you seeing God's blessings around you? Are you seeing them? Uh, They're there I was talking to a friend this last week, and it was incredible hearing what they've been through and how they've been managing and, and all the rest of it. They were talking about how they've been through a really hard season of their life, only to, on the flip side of it, after a couple months, have to know that they were going to enter another hard season. But in the midst of it, it's like, all right, I was going to get a little breather. But that's when COVID hit. And they have little ones at home. And so it's like, are you kidding? I'm sitting there hearing this like, oh, my God. Like, I'm just starting to groan. Like, man. He's talking about how it's really hard, and you know, he's just trying to wrestle with it all, make sense of it all, and all that. And this is just so painful. But in the midst of that, even now while it's still hard trying to get his head around all of it, he said, but you know what? There was actually a real bright light in the midst of all of that. I was like, tell me about it. He said, we, had to do, we were doing some traveling, so we had to quarantine for two weeks. And I was not happy about that. that. That didn't seem like a good idea. But then I realized it was actually wonderful. It was such a gift in disguise. I got to just be with the family not have anything going. Like it was quarantine, but it was such a bright spot. Are you looking for God's blessings? I've lost track personally. How many times I've been in hard times and I'm just like, I'm like Elijah. I've been very zealous or whatever. Like, where are you at? And on the flip side of that to be like, oh, that's why you did that. That's incredible. I wouldn't want to do it again, but I'm so grateful for that. Right? I need to remember those times to say, thank you, Lord, for that hard thing that was ultimately for my good and others, perhaps. It's like, but you lose track of like the wonderful thing. Or think of it this way. How many times are we complaining about things that other people would love to have? I mean, we complain about our careers. We're sitting in the Silicon Valley. I mean, a lot of us have jobs that a lot of people, like we're complaining about that a lot of people would be like, man, I'd love to have that job. Are you seeing God's goodness around you? It's there. His touch is manifold, but do you have the eyes for it? There's another friend in the church who's going through just some real bouts with cancer. We're talking late stage. He sent an email to us recently. He said, I am seeing God's goodness in all of it. His touch is all around me. I'm just, you can't read that and be like, oh my. Are you seeing God's goodness 
around you. Last question, are you listening for God's voice? Of course, this is what the story is most famous for. Elijah goes out on this 40-day journey into the desert, out to the mountain. And after the Lord asked Elijah the first time, Elijah, what are you doing here? Uh, The Lord says to him, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Maybe you know the story. Elijah goes out there, and at first, there's this great and powerful wind, shakes the mountain, rattles the rocks, but we're told the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was this earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was this fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a gentle whisper, our translation puts it, a still quiet voice is how I remember it from the King James, a gentle whisper, which leads us to have to ask the question, why the gentle whisper? If you think about the context of Elijah's life, we've talked about what happened just one chapter ago. Elijah has seen by this point many things God doing in the spectacular, just the, just the miraculous on Mount Carmel, on, uh, you know, on the mount again when he prays for the drought to end, running in the power of the Lord. We haven't talked about this, but how he raised a little kid to life, or God through him raised a little kid to life. Elijah had seen the spectacular, but was he listening to him and listening for the gentle whisper? I think the reason why the Lord spoke to him in a gentle whisper is he wanted him, he wants us to be not just listening carefully, but to want to listen to him. God is always speaking. He's almost always speaking. Now, there are times when he is silent, and the Psalms talk about that. There's some times when we need to wait on the Lord. But oftentimes he is speaking, but are we listening? I think if we're real about it, often the answer is no. We're not really listening. Friends, in whatever you're facing, in whatever decisions you're working through, in whatever feelings, relationships, life circumstances, whatever it is you're processing, is the Lord's voice the most important to you? Christian friends, is, 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 is his voice the most important? As you're, as you're trying to make decisions about work, where you'll live, what you'll do, is the Lord's voice leading in that? And if so, are you actually listening for it? I think that's, that's the question we need to be asking. It's so sad to me. And hey, I put myself in this bucket, Christian family. It's so sad to me how often we can have these, these things that we need the Lord's help, but really what we're doing is we're trying to make it work on our own understanding. Boy, I think if anybody's guilty of it in culture and time, it's probably Silicon Valley. I mean, we're just built that way. Like, how do we fix and strive and do this? It's like, Christian friends, we need to realize that at the end of the day, hey, that God wants to supply our minds, our passion, our heart. He gave us that. But is his voice leading us? Are we, are we listening? Because God wants us to listen, and he, he, and he wants us to want to listen, because why? He, he actually has our best for us. Elijah eventually listened, and here's what he heard, okay? Here it is, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, a son of uh, Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is an incredible thing that God is giving Elijah in this moment. I mean, he's giving me a few things. When Elijah listens, here's what he gets. First of all, he gets purpose. Go back to Damascus, anoint these people, 
In other words, be a part of my kingdom. Be a part of eternity. Elijah's in a slump here. He's hit a wall. God hasn't quit on him. God's still calling him out. I've got eternal things for you to be a part of. Think of that. I mean, it's like, man, we can hit a slump, be so caught up in what's hard here and now. And the Lord clearly shows that he loves us in that, but not so much. Just leave us there. He wants to continue to say, be about my things. Why? Because when you get to eternity, you're going to be, like, you're going to be so grateful you got to be a part of those things. That's what, that's what this life's about. Eternal things. Even when we quit, God doesn't quit on us, but invites us into his eternal purposes. But what's more, God gave Elijah support. Anoint Elisha to succeed you as the prophet. I love that. It's like, Elijah, you're going to get a buddy. You're going to get a companion. One of the things I love about Moses' story, if you know it, he's like, I don't want to have to talk to people, God, when God was calling him out to, to save the Israelites out of Egypt. He's like, I don't want to do it. God's like, dude, I'll give you the words. It'll be awesome. You're going to miss out if you, if you do it any other way. But then Moses comes back and says, no, I want somebody else. And God says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. You're going to have a good friend. All right. God gave him support. God gave Elijah encouragement. I love this part. Like of the three that we've mentioned so far, this is almost the most incredible in my mind because God goes on to say, hey, Elijah, you know how you're saying you're the only one left? Well, that's not true. I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. Hey, man, I've got 7,000. And this is incredible to me because it's not like Elijah was owed that explanation, right? God knew what he was doing. God had it all in plan because he's God. He's working out his plan. Elijah didn't need to have this extra piece of encouragement of, but check out behind the veil what I'm actually doing. And you know, sometimes you go through hard things and God says, this is why you've gone through the hard thing. You can connect the dots. That's a gift. He doesn't have to do that. There's plenty of times I don't see that, but it's like in heaven, I'll see that. That's going to be a gift. He gave Elijah encouragement. And best of all, God gave Elijah his son. Now, wait wait a minute, David. This is the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't show up for a few hundred years. Where's where's Jesus in this? Well, check again. We're told that the angel came to care for Elijah, take care of his needs, give him food, encourage him emotionally, all the rest of it. But we're told it wasn't just any angel. Verse 7 tells us it was the angel of the Lord. There are a lot of angels that show up in the scriptures, and they always, always say, hey, to to whomever, this is what the Lord has to say to you. Here's what God's saying to you, but never with the angel of the Lord. When the angel of the Lord shows up, it's always, this is not what God has to say to you. The angel of the Lord says, this is what I'm saying to you as the Lord. We don't have time to do a deep dive, but scholars say, this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is Jesus. It was Jesus out there serving him. The lows over the coals, touching him, saying, hey, you got a journey ahead of you. And Elijah was just oblivious to it. How often are you taking for granted Jesus' love and care in your life? It's he who wants to serve you. And you know what? Jesus came saying things like, referring to himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's in Jesus' very nature to serve you when you're at your lowest point. Even if you don't see it, even if you in your heart of hearts have decided he's the one to blame for it, he wants to serve you. And we know that because this is pointing ultimately ahead to the wilderness that Jesus would go out to, not just for Elijah's sake, but for all of our sake, a wilderness far worse than anything you or I could ever get ourselves into in this life. And on the cross, not just asked to be killed, but to experience our death for us, 
punishment for sins to offer forgiveness and restore relationship with God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That if we put our faith in him, we'll receive eternal life and a relationship with him forever. If you've never made that decision, you can today as we take communion. Be an opportunity to act that out today. But if you have made that decision, this is the person whom you can listen to. Are you listening to him? Are you actually wanting to listen to him? Now, real quickly, just to break that down and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. What could it look like to listen to him? Practically, what does that mean? Well, it means getting into his word, right? Because God can't contradict himself. And it's, if it's his word, we have to be reading his word and understanding our circumstances in light of what he may be saying about it. And if there's a clear word that goes kind of against what we're saying or for what we're hoping or whatever the case may be, we don't need a fire or earthquake or wind or gentle whisper to talk to us. It's pretty clear. Second thing is, you know, we need to be praying. I mean, we got to be reaching out and, and, and communicating with God. I have a, a buddy over at Google who works in IT there, and it's, it's comical to me. He has this shirt that says, have you tried rebooting? And he'll, like, go around to these Google engineers wearing that shirt. I'm like, dude, like, are you, it's like, do they slap you for wearing that? No, I didn't say that. But it's like, it's like he wears this, like, have, have you tried rebooting? I was like, is that, is this a, how much of this is a joke versus, like, are you really, like, asking people to reboot the computer? He's like, actually, over 75% of the people I'm going out to help them in the workspace it like they need to do a reboot or find the plug this or that he's like it's it's crazy he's like i've thought about like man just for myself i don't think i'd wear this outside just because you know get it just convey things i don't intend but it's like have you tried praying like we need to be praying like if praying is so important and we're dedicating so much of our mind space and strategy and all that to trying to work out our problems or struggles or whatever it might be are we going to the Lord with it? And if you are going to the Lord with it, are you going there, not just with your laundress, which by the way, he wants to hear, are you going to listen to him? Like living, leaving some space, by the way, like my seminary professor, just some, some space for the Holy Spirit with his gentle whisper to speak into it. We need to go to this word. We need to go to prayer. We need to be in community. Uh, that's the thing that, you know, for Elijah was perhaps the scariest in terms of like the strategy of it. He like left his servant behind. He like left, you know, his people behind and, and that left him isolated. Like he was, he was in a vulnerable place. New Testament scriptures, of course, Jesus himself says, boy, we need Christian brothers and sisters around us. You need people around you. And are you actually listening to them? You gotta, you gotta be in community, and then are you actually listening to them? Being in community, I would just say we're doing signups for small groups right now. I humbly believe that right now is the time in which it's more important than ever to be in a small group of people caring for one another, getting into people's lives. By the way, and also navigating all the stuff, baggage we're probably bringing into that space, offering grace, love, patience as best we can. We need that. And I would just say for those of you attending online, maybe you haven't had the opportunity or felt like the, the, the time was yet to come back. I would just say, humbly, if we, if we talk about downstream effects and think about the ways that this is going to impact us. I think I was listening to a psychologist just this week, came into my feed talking about how for like little kids and how they're wearing masks. Like we don't have the data on this. We probably won't for a while, but how he's concerned, especially with little introvert kids of like, you know, they're already trying to like not look at people in the eye and all that sort of stuff. It's like being able to hide behind a mask. He's like, that's going to impact it. What about spiritually? Having our kids in community. We just, we need to be around each other. And I, I humbly believe, and everybody has different Circumstances, you have to make your own decision and, and figure all that out. But I humbly believe there's a risk no matter what we do. 
or don't do. And I just think that there's, we just, we, the Bible teaches clearly we need others and others need you. But then we also need to be willing to listen. Have you ever been around a person, perhaps this has been you and you've miraculously been able to identify this in you. You'd be very, one of very few if that's the case. But like, have you, ever, have you ever just like been around somebody who's just absolutely convinced they have it figured out what's going on in their life? And it's not like you're, you have this like mission to correct them or help them see it differently, but it's just like they're saying all this stuff and you're like, but is it really that though? You know what I mean? We can get so tunnel vision and people might be asking questions just graciously, lovingly. And it's not to say that you're wrong and they're right, but it's like sometimes people are asking questions, but we're just hard-hearted about it. We're like, I don't want to hear that. I've got it worked out. We've got to actually let people in. And I would just say that there's an opportunity to do that for one another as we, as we do our best uh, to point each other towards Jesus. I hope we take these questions to reflect on, maybe even later today, this week, just in different ways. Are you identifying the real issue? Maybe you can bring others into that. I mean, prayer is obviously a big part of that. Are you identifying the real issue? And then are you seeing God's blessings around you? You know what would be fun? And this, I'm not in the business of giving homework, so take this or leave it. It might be fun to find someone later today and just say, share something that you see as God's blessing in your life that maybe you've been taking for granted. Don't feel pressured to have to do that, but if you, that'd be a nice little thing. If, if nothing else, just in prayer, reflecting God's blessings back to him. And are you listening for God's voice? Like really actually listening? And are you wanting to listen to his voice? Not just him affirming your plans, but like him actually leading, driving your plans. The reality is whether we realize it or not, this is a season for soul care. We don't need the data out there to affirm that for us. Uh, if Elijah hit a wall, each of us can hit a wall. Some of you, I know, you know you've hit a wall. Many others of you don't know you've hit a wall, but you've probably hit a wall. If Elijah hit a wall, we can hit a wall and know it's okay to not be okay. Just don't leave it there. Ask the Lord in. Ask others in. And invite him in because he wants to be there for you. So you can turn to the Lord. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, again, thank you so much for texts like these that are so real and raw in that even this quote-unquote great person, great prophet of the Lord had these struggles. We're so thankful for it because, boy, we don't have to look too far or dive too deep to see ourselves in it. And we're so thankful that the way that you respond, if we were to distill it into one thought, is really by grace. You're so gracious. Not only not putting Elijah directly into this place right away, but sending your son to serve him breakfast. Touch him. Minister to him. Lord, for those who are not okay right now, would you help them just sense and feel your presence, that you're not just looking to lecture them or snap them into place, but your heart is for them, to love and restore them. I pray that you would, in your timing, help them see what's going on there and help them see the purpose in it all, help them see encouragement, support, and ultimately help them see your son. I pray that for all of us. It's your son who we remember and celebrate now as we take communion. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.